Well, once again, everybody, I am so happy to have with me 35th District Representative. This time it's Travis Couture. Travis, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I am great. And uh, uh, so I talked with uh, Rep. Representative Griffey yesterday, and it was good getting back into the swing of things. And this is our first chance for a conversation as a House representative. How have how has it been for you last year, and now you're into your second year uh, as a rep? It's great. It's uh it's busy, um, but better to be busy than to be lazy. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's an honor to do this job for everybody, and and I I appreciate it a lot, and so I I I do my best, and I work hard at it, and I think. Uh, last session we were pretty successful and hoping to continue that this session. Yeah, I was uh, following along, of course, with all of the things that you guys were doing and you made a real splash uh, your first year in. I got to ask, you know, I've been you and I have known each other for a while now and uh, kind of followed along. And was it everything that you expected once you took the oath and now you're a representative? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in the minority party, so sometimes I don't get what I want and that's frustrating, but sure. at the same time, um, when, when I do get a win, it makes everything worth it. Right. And so when you can help people with stuff, even small things, um, we had a world war two veteran in our district that I did a house resolution for just kind of honoring his service and his life. Um, Burton Stoltz out in Shelton. Uh, he even read books to kids at the pioneer school district and, and uh, it's it's just I mean that costs nothing, but it's little things like that. And we were able to present it to him on his birthday um, oh at gosh. the Veterans Hall in Shelton, and so uh, that was pretty cool. It was a total surprise to him; he didn't know it was coming. And so uh, we honored Casey Salisbury for his uh, you know service as Mason County Sheriff for many years, and um, he was uh, pretty uh, tickled by that. And um, but, you know, we got record capital budget money, all sorts of stuff, um, even stuff for early learning in Shelton. I mean, it's really good. And so that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we heard the governor's uh, state of the state. And what are your thoughts on the state of our state? Yeah. And I don't want to sound like because there's a lot that I could complain about. Sure. But, uh, I'll just uh I'll start with something good. The, okay. the the regional law enforcement training centers, um, you know, it, it's good that we're building training centers so that we can train up and hire more police, right? I think that there's still a lot more work to do kind of within those training centers um, to make sure that the, the candidates coming out of there are ready for, you know, action on the streets uh, back, back home with us. And um, so that's some feedback I've gotten from our local cops and sheriffs. And so um, and some of the bad is, you know, I mean, he starts off with the state of the state is strong. And, and you know, as many people kind of look around our state, you know, we see, you know, big crime issues, property theft, auto theft, um, record overdoses, uh, you know, you know, a big homeless problem, a drug epidemic, a housing crisis. Uh, there's a lot of good about our state, um, but there's a lot of problems right now that, you know, actually are not super difficult to solve if you just try. <laughs> and so um, I guess from my perspective, uh, you know, we got a lot of work to do on those issues and I wish we would um, do more in the legislature to prioritize them. I certainly am. 
Well, let's talk about one of those uh, things that you just mentioned there, the drug drug epidemic. Uh, House Bill 2233 is something that you've uh, put into the hopper. It's protecting children about fentanyl. Uh, it is a huge topic across the country, uh, fentanyl coming across and into our state. And it is, uh, this drug, for those who don't know, is very dangerous, even in the most micro amounts. Talk to me about what you have learned about this drug and just its kind of reach into our 35th district. Yeah, it's it's obviously I don't have to tell anyone how devastating it is. I mean, um, so really what the bill focuses on is kind of that child welfare space. Um, I'm the assistant ranking member on the Human Services Youth and Early Learning Committee which kind of oversees DCYF, Department of Children, Youth and Families, which means CPS. And, and one thing that we've seen over the last couple of years is a extreme dramatic spike in child fatalities and near fatalities for children. And a lot of them involving drugs, um, accidental ingestion or overdose, and like 70, almost 70% of it just fentanyl alone. And so what's happening um, is there was a, a bill passed a while back that really kind of, I think the intent was to kind of protect uh, parental rights. However, the 14th Amendment says like parents have an absolute right to parent unless there's child abuse or neglect, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically kind of what my bill is doing is saying, hey, if you're a parent on fentanyl or some other extremely hard drug, other heroin or meth, meth, right? You don't have the ability to care for your kids. That is neglectful. That is abuse. And especially if you're leaving those drugs within arm's reach of babies and toddlers, which is most of the, the young deaths are babies and toddlers. And so, you know, they're, act, they're getting into stuff as people with small kids know. Um, and unfortunately they die. And I, to be honest with you, Jeff, um, this is a, there's a lot of subjects that, you know, bother me here in Olympia, but nothing more than this, um, because here's the deal. If we don't solve this problem and hit a bullseye on it this session, then you can bet your bottom dollar on another hundred deaths of need needless deaths of small kids for the next year until next session. That's unacceptable. And so it's really incumbent upon uh, both Republicans and Democrats to set kind of ideology aside and make sure that when kids are in this dangerous situation, that we are taking the keys away from parents who are abusing fentanyl or other hard drugs and we get them the help that they need. So hopefully one day if, if they can sober up and get clean, then then they can reunite with their kids. But we have to we have to first prioritize the safety of those kids. And so the bill basically says something that the state law does not currently allow, which is if you're using these hard drugs like fentanyl or Trank, right, which is another variation of it that's mm -hmm. even worse, if you can believe it, um, we're going to allow the removal of those kids. And that that is the ultimate thing that needs to happen that will absolutely drive down those needless deaths. And so that's it's one of my top priorities this session to get something done. Even if it's not my bill, uh, there might be another variation of it or it might get amended, but I'm, I'm shooting for everything I can get to make sure that we stop those deaths. 
And so where is where are these drugs coming from? Are they coming from outside of the state? Are they is are they being produced in Washington or where's the readiness, the availability coming from? Yeah, I think law enforcement tells us a lot of it comes from across the border. Right. Um, and I mean, maybe some of it is manufactured here, but a lot of it's coming from across the border. And then, you know, but it's being distributed pretty heavily here. I mean, even I think last year, someone got hit from around in or around our district uh, with like 70,000 fentanyl pills, which was enough to kill every citizen of Washington. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, my seatmate, Griffey, Dan Griffey, he, uh, we passed the pill press um, bill last session that says, hey, if you're manufacturing like thousands per hour of these pills with this fake pill press, uh, then and you get caught with that and you're trying to distribute something like fentanyl, you're going to go to jail for a very long time. <laughs> and so and that's what we really need to do. We need to hit the distributors and the people who are literally peddling death when they peddle fentanyl. I mean, people are just going to die. And if not now soon. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I, you just brought up and I have a question on, too, is uh, sentencing when it comes to these things. Uh, are you more in favor of a mandatory? Here's what's going to happen, no matter what, if you're caught doing something illegal or more of a what you see happening now where there's a sliding scale of adjudication from law enforcement, do you, or not law enforcement, but from the judges and the judicial side of the state, does it need, there, there need to be more, it, it's mandatory, this is the sentence that comes with this crime? Yeah, I think I know what you're getting at, and I, and there's a problem in our state where, I mean, in my opinion, I should say, that, uh, you know, there's a, a little bit too much kind of like bench activism in our courts, um, where, you know, that's like selective interpretation of the law or, um, you know, for things like bail, for example, right, where it's like you're supposed to look at flight risks. And if the if the person is a danger to public safety and and, you know, there's like three different categories. But, you know, oftentimes the law says, hey, the judge will give great weight to that. Right. But, you know, judges will apply that differently in certain cases and even as we've seen in our own county so um i think yeah i think there should be uh more kind of you know red lines you know in the law where it's like hey you know this isn't left up to interpretation you know if you peddle seventy thousand fentanyl pills <laughs> or or whatever it may be like there's certain violent dangerous crimes that people need to be in jail for it and i'm never going to apologize for that i know that there's you know I, I thought that, you know, oh, jail's bad, but it's it's what separates the dangerous people from all the innocent people in our society. And and oftentimes, if they can be reformed, that's the first step. Let's move on to uh, some more, but youth focused, but special education uh, and and how you're working through that. You have a couple other House bills uh, that you're sponsoring, co-sponsoring, 1914 and 1923. Both of these two and all the bills can be found on your website. And I'll give that link at the end of this. But let's talk about that one. Yeah. So special ed is a, is a kind of a, a well, a special topic of mine. Um, I have four kids and uh, some of them are developmentally disabled and, and are in the special ed programs in our public schools. And so I've, as a parent, I've had a kind of a, a firsthand view of 
our special ed system. And um, I got actually two bills. One is to, um, you know, make sure that we adequately and fully fund special ed. It is a part of basic ed. And that's a part of our state's constitution that we, you know, we must, it's our paramount duty and we have to fully fund and provide for it. And, and so basic ed is fully funded, but special ed is not. And the reason you can know that is because there's a cap. And if you cap something and you cut certain kids out of the out of the process because you know the school district has more kids than they can allow in the cap then then some special ed kids get left in you know in the dust mm-hmm. and and that's not right and and also it's a threat to our state government because you know McCleary 2.0 could be a result of it right and it could be a big lawsuit where we pay a lot of money and the courts decide uh you know how how things are done and you always want your separation of powers so really focused on protecting the constitutional rights of, of special ed students and, and also helping them and their families because the special ed system, as most parents in special ed know, that it's not perfect, right? Um, and uh, so I ha- this 1914 bill um, has actually got a hearing Wednesday and, uh, or I guess that would be today, and, and that is looking to um, improve the special ed system, especially around IEPs to give parents and, and special ed students a lot more support, but also to give school districts more support with um, specialized professionals needed for special ed that are hard to get in our rural communities. You know, it's it's hard sometimes to get a psychologist or a speech pathologist in a rural community. Maybe they don't live here, right? Uh, and so to get someone to move here is sometimes a chore. Um, but I've got a way to solve that through this bill by basically creating a clearinghouse through it with the ESDs uh, so they can farm out to the different rural and small school districts to help promote special ed. So really proud to be doing that. It's a special cause for me, but it's also something uh, I'm kind of proud of my caucus for leading on last year and and this year. I mean, we are kind of outdoing everybody on special ed and and, you know, and so that's a good thing. When it comes to, um, I guess, identifying students who have special needs, and you mentioned IEPs and other programs that the youth are going through and can be categorized as, I guess, for lack of a better term, it seems to me that there are more and more of these students being identified as the years go on. Uh, So when it comes to these caps, it does seem to really limit the percentage of the the student body in these schools. Yeah, and and so one of the interesting things is you, you mentioned it. There seems to be more and more, and you know what the funny thing is is there probably always always was right right, but they were cut out and not evaluated as a right. result of being cut out, marginalized and, or and then, little so little get, Johnny's just excited today or something like that. Right and or whatever it may be. Um, And here's the deal. Like if you can get a child on an IEP and get early services and supports early on, it's actually a cost savings because you typically you can get them out of an IEP later on in life, um, depending on what the situation is. But the early intervention actually pays dividends down the road. Um, But when you have students, maybe people our age, right, who are Um, struggled through school, maybe they should have had an IEP, maybe they should have had some support along the way, but they didn't, because back in the day, they were cut out of the process or not evaluated for one reason or another. And that has 
maybe altered the traject trajectory of their lives. And so I always say like special ed kids, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the more severe on the spectrum or not, um, we need to support them all. And, and it's always a good investment. Um, special ed people, people with disabilities, I call them out my people. Uh, they are, um, they're worth it. They're not second class citizens. We got to treat them like first class citizens in state law. And then let's move on to another piece of education here today. We'll focus on education. It's always a great topic is Holocaust education. Uh, is that something that currently is within the school system or is that something you'd like to make sure is implemented or talk to me about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, teamed up with Senator uh, John Braun, he's the Senate Republican minority mm -hmm. leader and, um, and a few members of my caucus, and actually a few um, Jewish members of the House. Um, Tana Sen, uh, she's a Democrat, but she's, uh, I think, the only Jewish person in, in the House. And um, it came to our attention, there was a, a host of polls after the October 7th attack in Israel, kind of just looking into the subject. And, and what we found out is that for the age groups of um, like 18 to 25, our youth, right mm -hmm. uh, that almost 70 65 to 70 percent of them believed in a yougov poll or economist poll that the holocaust was a myth that it did not exist wow and across our nation and then there was more polls considering jews as the oppressors in in his in history and now um the the further later um groups age groups older age groups don't believe that it's the exact opposite. And so what, how I took that as the people coming out of our public education system are believing the Holocaust was a myth, that Jews are the oppressors and a lot of kind of anti-Semitic things and, and maybe a lot of mistruths about um, other acts of genocide in history. And I think it's really important, especially as we see what's going on kind of in our, the protests in our streets and everything else that, um, it's incumbent upon our public schools to impress upon people that we are not um, going to practice anti-Semitism, you know, in our society, and that the Holocaust was not a myth, right? And right. I mean, just simple facts. And so what this bill would do, um, the changes that it makes is that previously it was just encouraged that schools would teach about the Holocaust, but not required. This makes it mandatory. And it also sets up a kind of awareness month in the month of April around, um, you know, the kind of the plight of the Jewish people and the genocide of during the Holocaust and another, and maybe even October 7th and then and, and other things. So I think it's kind of um, it's needed right now because that that's what the data is showing us is is that, pe you know, people in that young age group just exiting public schools or maybe going to college you know, simply do not um, believe in something that is reality. And that's something we have to stop. Wow. So, I mean, how can you even teach a history class and focus on World War II and not bring that up? I don't, it's, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I thought the same thing. And, and it's, you know, it, it's not like they don't teach it in every school, but right. I, there's a lot that, are kind of either glossing over it or, or maybe uh, not Assu really touching assuming, upon it at all. Assuming that the students, yeah, know that maybe, it... maybe they assume they know, or maybe they don't think that the material is, uh, um, you know, 
good for for kids or whatever uh, the case may be, but it's important. I mean, I learned that in school. Mm -hmm. I was subjected to the videos. It's horrific. Um, but, you know, you got to be able to, to, in order to say never again, should this occur, you have to be faced with the truth. And we got to stop coddling our kids and make sure that, the, you know, they can see the truth in the world sometimes when it's appropriate, right? Um, but uh, but now more and more, we, we are hiding the truth. You know, it, this comes on the heels of this, uh, the similar age group basically taking a letter from Osama bin Laden and saying that he had all the answers right and he was right for 9-11 i mean it's like what's going on here um you know i'm a veteran i was in the navy i served our country during the global war on terrorism and everything else and i had friends die in the middle east and and on the submarine with me and um you know i uh, it's almost a slap in the face to have people defend osama bin laden although it's their first amendment rights but first amendment rights sometimes aren't pretty right <laughs> so but uh but yeah, I think a little bit of education on these topics in our schools would go a long way um, to curbing the anti-Semitism in our society right now. I feel like when I was in middle school, we watched, uh, we had to get a signage for from the parents or whatever, but we watched Glory, I feel, in middle school to kind of talk about the Civil War. And I, I feel like we watched Schindler's List at least once during the time I was in high school. Um, a boy with the striped pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Schindler's list. Um, yeah. We watch that stuff and, um, but yeah, who, who knows what's going uh, on now? And I mean, it's school by school. It could be different, but, but the data isn't, the numbers aren't lying and, and hopefully by making it mandatory, we can help curb that sent, uh, sentiment. Well, this was a great start to a conversation on a short session, so I'm really happy to be able to connect with you weekly here. You can always uh, check in with Travis on his website, Travis Couture, that's one word, .houserepublicans.wa.gov. It's got a list of how you can get in touch with him, his sponsored bills, and more uh, in the session with phone numbers, as well as opportunities to hook up with his uh, legislative assistant to maybe help with uh, any other concerns that you may have in the 35th. I am so happy for you, Travis. I know you have been working so hard uh, to make your way to the Capitol. And last year, that was the topic that I kept hearing is how much this freshman uh, representative from the 35th was making huge waves and, and bringing in a lot of uh, benefit to our district. So it's really cool, man. I am super proud and super happy for you. Uh, and we'll check in next week as well. Okay. Thank you. Pleasure to fight for y'all. It's good to talk with you. Thanks.